We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another Adult Improver edition of Perpetual Chess. Of course, this is a recurring series. It's been going on for years where instead of interviewing a top um, grandmaster or author or trainer, we interview a fellow amateur from the chess world where they talk about their passion for chess and their chess improvement advice. And we will introduce our guests momentarily. But first, I did want to give a couple shout outs. Number one, to recent Perpetual Chess Patreon subs, Martin Weir, Matt Broadhead, and Olaf. Um, I'm not going to lie, I've been slacking a little bit lately on the uh, Patreon Perpetual Chess special events. Um, I've been cramming to finish a book, my manuscript. I guess you call it a manuscript. I don't know. It's nonfiction. Anyway, it's due soon. But in the meantime, why not support the podcast anyway? You get access to ad-free episodes. You get advanced notice of guests so you can submit questions. And the special events will return soon. Uh, I also wanted to remind listeners to subscribe to my free newsletter, The Perpetual Chess Link Fest. Lately, I've been uh, linking to more and more chess improvement-related stuff as opposed to chess news. Um, I cover both, but there does seem to be particular interest in reading about other people's blogs, about their own chess improvement efforts, both, again, from trainers and from amateurs. So be sure you're sub to that link in the show notes. Also, anytime there's like a mainstream chess story, which 
uh, sometimes can slip through the cracks if it gets covered in some big newspaper or something. I always try to link to those so that you can see what other people are saying about us. Um, last but not least, before we introduce our guest, I did want to give a shout out to our presenting chess education sponsors, chessable.com. We will be talking to one of their most accomplished community authors. Um, but I'm also excited about some other new courses on chessable fire on board by the legend GM, Alexi Shirov, a big fan of that book. And now it's on chessable, uh, GM Nicholas Hussenbeth has a new attacking E4 repertoire for club players. So be sure to take a look at all that they have to offer, uh, both for free and for purchase. And you can check out uh, a list of my recommended courses as well. Uh, so without further ado, let's introduce our guest. He is, as I, as we said, a prolific community author on Chessable. I've actually often recommended his Visualize series in particular, which we'll be discussing. Um, it helps you learn to think ahead in chess. Our guest, John Neely, started playing competitive chess and went from zero to the English Chess Federation equivalent of roughly 1800 after starting at age 36. But he was far from an overnight success. It was an eight to nine year odyssey. And he was putting in four to five hours a day on chess while working. He's now taking a break from OTB chess to focus on outside interests. But we both thought it would be a good time for him to reflect on all the progress he's made and all that he's learned and share a few lessons. So let's welcome John Healy to the show. Welcome, John. Oh, well, thank you, Ben. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, excited. And it's funny because I, I had recommended your courses. You you publish on Chessable as a Benedictine, and I've been yeah, a big fan right, of them. Yeah. For, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've used it both as a in my work teaching and for my own training, and it, it's an incredible series. But, John, why don't we start, since since I know that you started chess at 36, but I don't know many details beyond that. What, what got you into chess at a relatively late age? Well, I, I actually, my dad actually did tell me, teach me how to play chess when I was sort of seven or eight. So I did kind of like know the, know the moves and things like that. And a little bit of chess exposure, which probably helped, you know, as a teenager. Like when, for example, when the uh, Sharp and Kasparov match was playing, you know, I was at school and that created quite a buzz a little bit, you know, around school and things like that. Like first time that chess had actually been on TV, you know, from what I was aware of. So I played a few games there, but nothing, nothing serious. And, you know, I had a book when I was 17. But apart from that, I was uh, at age 36. That's right. Yes. 2004. No, 2011. Yeah, 34, actually. 36 is when I played my first tournament. Okay. So I was uh, drilling tactics from 2011. I've wrote this down to 2013 before I started playing. And then it was, yes, 36, my first uh, tournament. Okay. And what, in, what in rekindled Europe. your interest? What made you decide to start drilling tactics after a well, lifetime of well, not drilling tactics? It's just randomly started drilling tactics. Now, what it was, you see, I, I was studying a degree part-time 2005 to 2011. You know, I was working full-time and then doing a degree at night. And when I finished that, uh, there was a sort of a void there, you know. I, I kind of got used to that pattern of coming home and working on something and then at the weekend, like, researching things. And I, I suppose uh, I did look at doing a, a master's, but I just couldn't afford it. So uh, I eventually, somehow I must have picked up the old chess book or something as I started doing chess. I don't know what got me into it, you know, but uh, chess is like that, isn't it? You can play one game or you can see one puzzle and it can sort of suck you in. And I imagine it's it's just that, really. And Yeah, and I went from there and I thought, well, this is going to be my next sort of project, really. Uh, yeah. And you mentioned in our email, John, that at some point you made a rating goal of, again, we're talking equivalents here because you're in the English Chess Federation, but roughly yeah. the goal of, of 1800. Uh, how did you settle on that? I did, yeah, because I, you know, I looked around and I thought, 
I did, I did a little bit of research and I thought, what's a decent level to get to? And that's a difficult question because it depends, you know, on your starting point and things like that. And, you know, you do see these threads where the, I've got one year study, I want to be a grandmaster. Right. And, you know, you see those threads all the time, don't you? And you get things like 10, 10 or 12 people saying, it's not possible, it's not possible. And then you get one person at the bottom goes, you know, you can do it, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, after reading all that and reading into it, how difficult it is, I, said, I thought grandmaster's not going to be like uh, doable or any sort of title player. And I sort of looked around thinking, well, 1800 seems to be like a decent club player. You know, it's you can walk into a chess club and 800 probably puts you in the middle somewhere. So I thought that would be a decent target if I, if I can aim to be that sort of person, really. Yeah, yeah. and it's, it's not easy. I mean, it's not easy to start tournament chess, no. as you said, at 36 and to make it to 1800. So, so kudos yeah. to you. Why do you think you were able to do it when, when others might struggle? I think it's just because, well, I did have that little bit of exposure to chess early on. I think that's important, you know, so you always acknowledge that, but probably was sort of 1200-ish with doing the chess puzzles. I had like one puzzle book that I, I look through now and again, and maybe that helped. I don't know. Maybe that gave me a sort of third platform. And, and then basically it was 2011 to 2013, just basically cocooning myself, doing tactics and annotated games, you know, annotated master games. Uh, before, I mean, what I should have done really is, I made a lot of mistakes. I should have gone down to the chess club, you know, and then I was, I then would be getting exposure with, you know, playing the games and things like that. But I didn't want to go into the chess club being like the weakest player, you know, which is silly, really. You know, it's not that people are going to be laughing at you or anything like that. But you know, we've not, I've never been into a chess club before, and you just having played a couple of games when you're young. It's, I didn't want to do that, so I wanted to sort of try and get to a decent level first, if that if that makes sense. And okay. Then, and then that's what I did. And they went into the chess, started playing a couple of friendly games at the end of 2013. Um, my first game was 2014. Your yeah, first tournament game? At that point. Yeah. And what, yeah, what did that feel like? Game. Uh, it was really enjoyable, actually. You know, it was a good, good experience. And it was a rapid event. It was a one-off rapid event in York. And, you know, I like York, so I thought, well, let's go. And what I actually did is it was my brother's birthday around, around about that time. And I said... Uh, I've got I've got a surprise for you because my brother plays a little bit of chess as well, and I said, "Don't come to York. I've got I've got a surprise for you." I said, "What is it? I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you." So I got him got him a train ticket, and we're on on the way on the train. Uh, he's probably thinking, "Are we going to the York races or something? Are we going to go on a pub crawl or something like that?" And yeah, and I said, "Yeah, no, I've I've actually put you into a chess tournament. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it wasn't really very pleased about that." Uh, but I said, "You are. You've done what?" I said, "Yeah, you'll be, you'll be all right. It'll be fun." You know, basically, I want a company on the train, like you know. So <laughs> uh, I put him into that tournament, and we obviously we both unrated. We both never played before, and you know, I played this guy. I think it was under seventeen hundred. If from from memory, was like the section under seventeen hundred. Yeah. So I played this guy the first game, and it was I've never used a chess clock before. Like I'm <laughs> no idea what I'm doing. It was one of those old analog clocks, you know, and. I'm doing okay, actually. I'm playing well. So this is first game. He's 1,700, so he's at the top of that section. And you know, the game went on. I think there were 20 minutes, no no increment. And we get to the end, and all the other games had finished. You know, I'm thinking, like, what's going on here? Well, he says, and everybody comes and look, watches the game. No, you know, that's, that was a new experience like, for me. And I'm playing the game, and I'm thinking, well, it's an end game. And I'm, I'm, it's, why has everybody else stopped? I don't know. Anyway, I, I actually resigned because I was losing in a losing position. I thought... You know, uh, do the gentlemanly thing. You know, I'm resigning. And then he said, "What? what, what what's that?" I said, "You resign." I said, "Yeah, I'm resigning. Yeah, I'm, I'm you know, obviously I'm losing in this position." And he went, "Okay." And he walked off, and he took the ticket back to the you know the counter. And then this guy outside him uh, tapped me on the shoulder and said, "You do realise you'd won on time five minutes ago, don't you?" 
<laughs> his flag's <laughs> dropped. Oh, I'm wow. Like, Add it. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And then your flag dropped, and you're both playing on, and your flags have dropped. I'm like, I've never used a clock. I don't even know what I'm doing. So, and oh, this is also, and then suddenly realized, wow, you know, this chess is pretty cutthroat, you know, the tournament chess. So that was that experience. Uh, and then I ended up winning three or four of those games in the rest of the tournament. So I was quite pleased with that. I think I think I went one four, I think. Lost another game. So I finished somewhere like fifth or something like that. Which That's is quite really good. good for a first tournament. <laughs> yeah, it was the first tournament. And, you know, I didn't really know what we were doing like, but, you know, I should have practiced with a clock. But the friendly games I'd done at the club, and not we don't use the clocks in the friendly games. Okay. So yeah. I'm a bit surprised that they... Um, so someone claimed it as a win for you? Because often the rule would be like, you need to claim it yourself. No, 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 no. I, I, I lost the game because uh, oh, okay. I didn't claim the win. Gotcha. I didn't know I had to claim the win because the clocks, you know, the, the flag fell. And the guy, mm-hmm. I resigned and he, he took the resignation and then he claimed the point for that. So I actually won the game on time, but just didn't know how to use a clock and didn't, I didn't know I had to claim the win on time and gotcha. didn't actually know what was going on with the flag thing. You know, I was like, it, does it make a noise? I have no idea. <laughs> so... Yeah. Okay. In hindsight, yeah. obviously, I should have practiced with a clock, but we, we didn't. Yeah. So, a couple good le- lessons there for listeners who haven't played a tournament. Absolutely. Uh, number one, Definitely. practice with the clock. But also, as John alludes yeah. to, he's referring to an analog clock that you're unlikely to see here uh, more than 10 years later. You're likely to see a digital one where even if you've never played a tournament before, you'll probably be able to tell when they run out of time. But uh, but it's, it's a funny yeah. story of a baptism by fire. Um, oh, so gosh, yeah. did you feel like you knew what to do after that? Like, did you feel like you had a firm command of how to get better at chess? Um, so I, I knew I was doing a lot. I did a lot of research on how to get better at chess. I, I just, I was kept Googling it and was reading stuff all the time. Uh, other people's opinions, you know, Dan Hearsman, I used to follow his column. I think he, he talks a lot of sense, you know, still does. And I was just trying to find people who seemed to like, you know, that we're talking about in terms of adult improvement. And I was just following their advice and collating it all, really. And the predominant thing seemed to be tactics, mm-hmm. you know, tactics, tactics, studying, things like that. And so that's where I focused all of my attention, virtually all of my attention on tactics and then annotated games as well. And I did have this coach for, for it was at the, the school that I worked at. And I, I had him for a few sessions, uh, but then he left, you know, nothing to do with me, hope. And uh, he looked at a couple of my online, online games that I played and he just says, oh, you know, you need to be a lot more aggressive. I said, so I need to be a lot more aggressive. No, no. He says, you need to be a lot more aggressive. Hmm. Right? He says, what you need to do, you need to play for, develop your pieces and be really aggressive. All right? And forget the opening study. So, okay. So I just did that, you know, for like the next three years, basically. <laughs> Even though we only had like two or three sessions with him. And I kind of kind of went with that advice, really. So And, and you found yeah. it helped? Yeah. I mean, because I, when I did start doing the opening stuff, I mean, I got to basically... 1600 ish like just on tactics and some idea of general strategy having played through the the annotated games with virtually no opening knowledge whatsoever you know my opening knowledge was play for and bang the nights out you know i've got to be honest uh you know and develop pieces rapidly and sometimes i would lose out the opening or get worse positions but in my early games they were not sophisticated at all I'd just sort of shuffle the pieces around and fish for tactics basically you know so, so yeah, okay. and then it's later on I started adding other elements to it and a bit more strategy and it finally did the openings, which okay. yeah, I've never, never really liked and doing, to be honest. And you've mentioned that at times you were doing four to five hours a day. Was that already the case yeah. in this period you described? Yeah, the 2011, 2013, 14, I'm doing four hours tactics a day. I come home and I do tactics books, 
online tactics, you know, for various different things. And probably doing a lot of the wrong things, like doing puzzles that are too hard, which I don't think I wouldn't do now. I would do lots of simple patterns. Yeah. Uh, is what I would do now and recommend. Because I was doing the tactics trainers and things like that. And the problem with that from from what I'd learned later on is that it sort of hits you at your actual rating, whereas I think it's generally better to be studying tactics at a lot lower rate than you actually are. So you're getting the simple patterns based, if that makes sense, if it's making any sense at all. But that, that's kind of what I'd recommend now. It's what I do recommend, really. So if you're sort of 1600, I'd be looking at doing 1200 rated tactics. You know, it's the same thing that Dan Heersman used to say as well, like years ago. Yeah. You get yeah, really, really good at the simple patterns and then your calculation then can sort of come from getting good at the basic patterns really whereas i was like hitting the tactics trainers and the tactics would then become calculation exercises but you know obviously you make mistakes early on but that's that's something that i wouldn't do again if it was yeah starting again volume yeah you know, yeah yeah dan heisman's very very i agree very informative yeah. on those topics and and i agree mm-hmm. like once you've laid the foundation like then you can start to push yourself but um yeah uh you gotta you gotta learn the basics first it's like you have to yeah. know the verb root before you can conjugate it sort of thing yeah um that's it. Yeah. so so you mentioned there were some some good choices some less good in terms of uh what which tactics resources you used are, are there any that you did find particularly helpful john um I did have the uh, Chess Polgar book, you know, yeah, I did the Mates in 2, Skip the Mates in 1, and a lot of the Mates in 2, and the Mates in 3, and things like that. They're quite good, you know, because you're drilling the patterns. Uh, I, I use online online sources, and I took, I took like, samples, like, for example, can I, can I mention the site? I don't know. <laughs> oh, of course, yeah. The website, yeah. I did, like, the Chess Tempo uh, website. I, I subscribed there for a few weeks. That was quite good. Uh, and taking the basic set, so I try and find patterns that was – you know, when I got used to it, lower rated patterns and I drilled those over and over again. So I was getting stronger, the simpler patterns, you know, pins and tactics okay. and things like that, folks. Yeah. And how often, so I, you've, you've mentioned to me that you're pre- predominantly a tournament player and that all your work, uh, whether it was online or not, was with the goal of getting better at tournament chess. So I'm curious, John, how often were you playing? Yeah, that's right. I never really liked playing online uh, various different reasons, Lee. but yeah, so I was playing, I joined a chess club and I like the individual tournaments because it's just you, but the vast majority of my games were team events, you know, the local leagues. So there's like six in, in, in a team, sometimes eight, depends what division you're playing in. So the team events, the dynamic's slightly different because, you know, if your team's 2 nil up and you're playing someone who's, who's lower rated and offers you a draw, then the captain's like, yeah, take the draw. Right. So, which is which is not, you know, a lot of play, people say, don't, don't take the draw, always play on. And I think that's absolutely sound advice, but... You know, if it's a team event, you have to think about the team as well. Whereas if I was playing in a tournament, I would kind of like not take the draw and I play on and I try and win. And I didn't really care, you know, like I keep going. And I think we're at to play again. I think I just refuse every single draw and keep playing on. Well, maybe not every single draw, but, you know, not just for the sake of the team that you have to play on. You have to have that sort of selfish kind of attitude, I think, if you want to improve. And by taking early draws sometimes, you know, you're missing out on board experience. Like, you know, and, and in terms of numbers, I was doing about... 30 to 35 games a year which is i wanted to try and do more but you know i can only play what's there really there's not many tournaments around uh, and for some strange reason in this country certainly up the north they seem to do put the same type of tournaments on on the same day <laughs> it's just really okay. frustrating you know so there's a 20 minute rapid tournament and it's in leeds and it's in nottingham and it's in new york so you could be in three places at once you know you could play three tournaments but that wasn't really the case okay so, so yeah so 30 games a year I uh, try and supplement that with some online games, 
some longer online games with like people, like friends and people that I know and things like that. But I wasn't really very good at doing that because it's like trying to organize when you're both free is a bit of a pain and my internet access was never very good, you know. So I didn't really trust a three-hour chess game online because, well, you know, I try, but yeah. So it's basically 35 quality games a year, but it was what I was looking at, really. Okay. And yeah. you're in uh, Sheffield. So yeah. was, were there places, so you mentioned part of the issue is that um, even if you travel, the tournament is going to be the same day, you know, that you might play locally. Um, was there anywhere further afield you could think of going? Like, what were your life circumstances in terms of like even trying to play more than you did? Although obviously what you did worked pretty well. Yeah, well, I was I was probably getting in. I was playing in the county leagues as well. And that, there was actually, uh, they were on Saturdays. So I'm playing in the, the, the Yorkshire League, you know, and I'm traveling further afield for those matches. And the local leagues for, for midweek, which is normally every Mondays or Wednesdays or things like that. But the tournaments, actually, if you go looking for tournaments, there's not many tournaments like scheduled individual tournaments. You know, really, I look on the calendar. There's quite a few in London. If you're in London, you're fine. Like, you know, I did travel to London for some tournaments yeah, a couple of times, actually. But it does make it, you know, a fairly expensive day out. And, you know, it's a full day into London. And I've done that a couple of times, but I couldn't really justify spending 200 quid, to, you know, to go to a tournament that's just going to benefit me when, you know, I've got kids and wife to think about, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, so kind of like, like limited in what 30, 35 games is kind of what could only really achieve, uh, really. Okay. Know, the long standard games. Yeah. I and are your wife and kids supportive overall? Uh, I mean, aside from obviously that it's hard to just leave. Oh yeah, I mean they're just happy to get you know, to get me out of the house. So that was, that was <laughs> no problem with that. <laughs> you know, they can watch what they want on TV without me uh, complaining and moaning. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, my kids, yeah, my yeah. kids are fine as yeah. I leave. If I leave, as long as mom doesn't leave, you know. But <laughs> but yeah, nonetheless, yeah. nonetheless, I try not to push it, and like I, you know, I don't go to like here in the u.s foxwoods open is a big one but it's like five yeah. days i don't go for the five-day tournaments you know i'm go i'm going two or three days if yeah. I go somewhere um yeah i mean i'm mean, the tournaments here would tend to be either one day rapid events which the rapid events are good but really i wanted to try and get the quality long games in and they're like three-day events right you know and I, I did a couple of those i mean there was a sheffield tournament that was easy i obviously played that one i did win that tournament and then got battered the, the year after and then there was no more tournaments. Uh, but the three-day events, not great, really. I, I did do one, which was about, you know, 50 miles away. And that, but I just didn't do the Friday. I took a bye on the Friday and went Saturday, Sunday. But there are some events I just can't get to. I've not got a car, right? So it, it's terms online on, on trains and the trains are very, very hit and miss. You know, like it's just like, for example, no train back on a Saturday night. So I'm, st I'm stuck in, you know, another, another area and I can't get back because I can't play. <laughs> so... Mm. Now, the only other thing I did, I did the simuls every year, the whole Grandmaster Challenges. They were absolutely fantastic events. They definitely yeah, highlight the calendar. I yeah. want to hear about those later. But first, John, I yeah, got to ask, yeah, all, sure. these, all these chessable royalties and you didn't buy a car with them? Oh, I don't want a car. No, no chance. No, I'm not, I'm not a driver. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, 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 and yeah. as as I mentioned before on the pod, there's legions of stories of chess players who are bad drivers. So maybe maybe it's for the best. Yeah, but, uh, I'm not, I'm not a good. I, I had experience. I was 17 years old, and my uncle was a driving instructor and also ex sergeant, uh, army sergeant. So I didn't really work out very well. Okay. <laughs> well, I wasn't very good at driving. Yeah, I wasn't really. I did have a motorbike for a while, which is kind of kind of like worried, worrying. But yeah. Okay. Um, and John, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Yeah, no problem. We, yeah, cool. we'll be right back. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we're back. And so, John, you're grinding tactics. You're putting in lots of hours a day, playing 30 to 35 uh, games per year. Now, one question I had is you mentioned you would try to supplement with online games, but it was tough to schedule. You would have Internet issues. But when you managed to make it happen, did you feel like the online games were as good a training as the actual OTB games? Mm, Not really. I mean, what I I did try to do is a couple of times I'd, I'd set the board up upstairs i set the board up and then i make a move online if they belong enough and then i transfer the moves to the board you know to try and get that 3d experience and you know i did did that a couple of times but you know it's a little bit cumbersome yeah uh, really you know and i don't really like the the, sort of the 2d 2d setup online things like yeah. that i mean you know it's okay it's got it's definitely got its benefits but i this is the club experience you know and it's not even just your game because if you're down at the club you've finished your game you're walking around picking things up you know, by sort of osmosis, really. So it's that it's the whole event of going to you know, the league games or the tournaments that I think you can you can talk to the players there and you know things like that, really. So online, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I have this really really good supportive online uh, chess club. So I'd like to so like thank thank them there. I put a note on my paper. Thank the people. <laughs> so if they know they are. Thank you. Uh, it's you really really useful to have a you know, supportive network of people around you who can guide you. And yeah, thank you for that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and in terms of um, like meeting with your team, were you guys reviewing games together? Like, were you guys going out for drinks after the games or was it pretty much just sort of play the game and that's it? I always have a drink after the game. That's, that's part nice. of going out to the club. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Sorry. Uh, but a little bit of the reviewing. Yeah, definitely. Uh, not much in terms of like bringing games to review. It's kind of after the game, you'd always review the games with your opponent. Yeah, definitely. Very friendly network down down in Sheffield and Yorkshire, really generally. Yeah, yeah so that was very, nice. very very helpful. We yeah, don't have as much definitely. league stuff here in the US. I'm, yeah, I'm, I know. I, yeah, I kind of like kind of pick that up. It's more individual tournaments. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's okay. a good. It does help the social element if you, you're working in the team and things. But it, it can hinder a little bit, like I said earlier, with you know you're looking at what the team's doing. Right. You stop me a draw. Should I take a draw? Or we're doing a little bit. Yeah, you take the draw. Okay, take a draw. Let's go. Let's go and get a drink. You know that mm-hmm. type of thing. Well, yeah. 
And John, do you know your opponents in advance? Like uh, you mentioned openings weren't a big priority, but would you think of, would you ever be preparing openings for someone? Only after a few years, like obviously when I first played in the leagues, I didn't know I was playing. Uh, but then when I got to know the people, there's a little bit of that going on, you know, already, but you don't know exactly who you're going to get. Like, cause you, you know, you've got a board order. Let's say I'm playing board two board three i'm looking at the club i'm going to play against i could get this guy i could get this guy I could get this guy you don't really know until they bring the team sheet out you know so uh, a little bit but not much but i had i used to play this guy and used to play like these weird trappy openings every single time but he prepared a different weird trappy opening every time he played it <laughs> you know so but my strategy when i played that guy was just let's just play really dull solid bowling chess and i'll, I'll bore him and he'll, he'll, he'll like overreach and make a mistake and you know he often did that and won those games or is, is like crazy tactics to start, you know, work really. So, so you, you do know the sort of player. And sometimes, like someone said to me, Oh, you've got him. Like, you know, he's a Sicilian, 30 moves in, or whatever, you know, 30 moves in. But he said, Don't, don't play Sicilian. He'll play Sicilian Dragon against you. Don't play it, don't play it, don't play it. So, says, Okay. So, I only know what you thought, right? right? So, what, what did you expect me to do? So, uh, I played E4, we played the Dragon, and it was, I've never played against the Dragon before, I think, the first time. So, a few times. And, it was a hit and miss game, like, you know, like Sicilian Dragons can be. And I nearly won, you know, I got nearly won, but I didn't nearly won. And at the end of the game, he came and says, what did you play Sicilian Dragon? <laughs> I told you not to play. So- yeah, but I can't play D4, you know. <laughs> so you know, little things like that, little quirks you can do. Like on this guy, he plays the French. Oh, no. You know, what are you going to do? I don't know. <laughs> That's funny. Play the French. He's going to play the French. Right. Oh, he's going to play the French. Right, I'm going to play the, the exchange variation. Oh, he can't do that. It's a boring opening. Well, he shouldn't play the French then, should he? It's his fault. It's not mine. So that's my attitude. You know, don't play it then. Don't play E6. So yeah. a little bit of that, but mostly you can't really play. And, and the uh, the Saturday games, you don't see them as much. You know, you like playing different counties and things like that. So you don't, you can't really prepare for them. Really, okay. unless you've been playing. I mean, a lot of these people I'm playing against have been playing in the leagues, you know, 20, 30, 40 years, and they know each other inside out. So so they probably can do. But it's, in terms of me just turning up, not really. Not, I can't really do that. Plus, I can't really prepare openings anyway. <laughs> Forget them. So Okay. Yeah. yeah. And and John, um, your your visualized courses, I know you've got some other courses on Chessable too, but I'm, yeah. I've mentioned them in the past, but basically for listeners who aren't familiar, they're, they're pretty, there are some other products on the marketplace like this now, but at the time, I mean, they're still great. And I think they were new at the time where basically yeah. John will present you with a position and then give you a handful of moves. It might be two moves. It might be five, depending on the level of difficulty. And the tactics problem is that many moves in advance. So the idea is it trains you to see ahead um, in in sort of a unique way that actually mimics OTB play. Uh, so I'm curious, John, like how that idea came to you and how it incorporated into your own training. Yeah, well, so like going back two years before that, what I used to do is I sometimes find myself, you know, once a game or once every other game in a really complicated sort of uh, calculation exercise. Uh, what was basically calculation exercise. And when I was low on time, especially, uh, I was kind of like redoing the moves in my head. You know, I'm not really trusting my calculations. And I sort of come to the conclusion, it's probably a visualization error. So what I used to do is I used to do a little bit of training on that. And I used to get, you can do, you can try this for free. I, well, I shouldn't say that, but you, know, <laughs> you try this for free. You get a random chess book. And this is what I used to do. I used to find a middle game position, you know, and I cover up the moves. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want that. I set them up to a real board, find, you know, somewhere quiet. And all I would do is 
literally then uncover the moves and just follow the moves. You know, move 28, fix that position, move 29, fix that position, 30, and so on. And I'd just see how far I could go. And it was really difficult at first because you know, you're looking at the board and you're trying to calculate, you look at a chess position, you're automatically trying to find the best move. I'm saying, no, you know, what I want to try to do here is just isolate that visualization skill, you know, that visualization exercise. I'm not calculating, I'm not playing guess the move. I'm not looking for like positional concepts. I'm literally just following the moves in my head and that's it. Right. And, and it worked, you know, it definitely worked. It was a bit cumbersome doing it that way because you turn the page and it's like black resigned and like, oh crap, I've got to find another position and, you know, and do it like that. But I used to do that uh, not very often, like well, a couple of times a week. And I, I'd give myself off an hour. How much can I push? I was really, you know, surprised at how much I could push, push my visualization if when it just in isolation that way. So, a couple of years later, somebody said, uh, "I think I got a couple of courses out. Oh, you should do a visualization course." You know, my coach says I need to practice visualization, and I said, "Oh yeah, yeah, that sounds like a good idea." Like, but didn't really think much of it. And a couple of days later, somebody else says he should do a visualization course. So I thought, well, two people in two days have just mentioned that I should officialize it because maybe I should look into it. And then that's when I thought, well, I used to do this this method and I know it works. So I could potentially do this on Chessable and I have a position and I would just have a list of moves, you know, and, and I presented my ideas in my online chess group and I said, all I'm going to do, look, here's a position, here's a bunch of moves. You know, and a friend of mine, Lauren says, oh, are you going to have to have a tactic at the end of the line? I think, I said, no, I think it could be all right. I didn't used to do the tactics at the end of the line. I just used to follow as much as I can and do 10 moves if I could. And he says, yeah, I don't think it quite worked without a tactic. So I think actually, I went away and thought about it and thought, yeah, it's probably right. People are going to think, here's a chess position, here's a bunch of moves. You know, what's this about, basically? Right. So I put the, the tactic at the end of the line and from the first course, which is, you know, the, the sort of primer course, the, the, I definitely start and visualize one. And yeah, I did present this idea to Gert at the time, and he's like, I just don't get it. You know, you're telling people the moves, they can just cheat. And I said, well, no, because you'd just be cheating yourself. You know, the idea is you follow the moves uh, in your head, and then you try and find the tactic. He said, I don't really understand it. People are just going to cheat. So he says, go away and write me an introduction. So I went away and I wrote the introduction. And I was a bit, I know this works. I was a bit angry. If you read the introduction, it's a little bit, yeah. <laughs> like, you know. And then it's a bit like that. I calmed down and visualized too. And then he read the introduction and he said, oh, yeah, I totally get it now. I get it now. Thanks for putting the introduction. He put it out and then it was, you know, was successful on the weekend. And then he come back and says, can you do visualize two, three, four, and five? Said, yeah, okay. <laughs> That's funny. Basically. So this, of course, is Gear yeah. Vanderveld, who was recently on the pod, the CEO of Chessable. Yeah. I'm guessing he wasn't the CEO at the time, right? He was maybe content. No, he, no. yeah, it was a content person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Shout, shout out to Gear. But that, that that's a yeah, funny. Thank story. you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that's a funny yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, and and again, I've um, I know there's a lot of adults who, especially if you if you start chess as an adult, uh, stuff like John's course can be uh, immensely helpful. Um, so what else are you doing? And as you continue to climb the, the rating ladder, John, like how, how did things change for you? Like you mentioned, you never did openings much. Did that to reach uh, roughly 1800 equivalent, did that ever change or have, have tactics always been your, your priority? Tactics has always been the sort of the backbone really, but yeah, I did have to start doing the openings you know, I couldn't really just, just doing E4 for the rest of my life. I still play E4, but yeah, I studied the openings and to be honest, I don't really enjoy studying the openings. Uh, there's only one opening I like, and that's it. <laughs> it's like one opening. Well, I did put time into studying the openings, and I did all the drilling, the you know, the the opening business, and that just really didn't work for me at all. It's like this, you know, you change, you drill, drill a particular opening, Icelandic Gambit, for example, for for like six months or a year, and then you'd never play it, and then you'd change your opening, 
So all that, right. all that time was just completely wasted, you know. Uh, so the approach that I, I did eventually adopt is try to find you know structures and systems. Like the one opening that I like, and I'll, I'll say it anyways, is a D three Roy. Right, I saw that position, I saw that structure, and I thought I know how to play this. So maybe because I've read so many annotated games, and it just felt natural. And I'm doing it on on sort of theory, theory, you know, not on actual theory, sorry, but on feel of the position, and I know what sort of structural aims I'm aiming for, really, and things like that. So we did we did one study the Benoni as a group together, so that was really useful. I was good at the Benoni for a while, but yeah, if I was to come back into chess, and, and I think I would have to really look at my repertoire. I've actually just played a game of chess. First time I played a game of chess just now at, at school. This young man said, but can you give me a game? Like, so I said, yeah. And, you know, he played uh, the King's Gambit and I, I totally forgot what to do. I was like, literally, I moved two and I'm making up moves. I've no idea. And this kid's probably like a thousand meters or something. And I'm like, have you played the King's Gambit? What have you done that for? I don't know that one. I forgot. So, uh-huh. yeah. So, the opening studies, I've never really been good at that. I always felt really this I've got to try and find an edge over the board. Like, how do I find an edge against someone who's been playing chess for for thirty years? Well, if I just study everything in the same way, I'm going to kind of just I'm not going to be you know find that edge. So I've tried to find that edge through tactics. You know, I think the other approach that you could do if you really I really like tactics. I really like doing calculation exercises. Yeah, do chess puzzles for fun. So that approach really really worked for me. I mean, the other approach is to really get a narrow sort of repertoire. And play sort of dry positions and play for the end game if you don't like doing the tactics. I think that could work as well and try and find an edge there. I know a lot of club players do that. They yeah. play like a, a system opening. They don't like the tactics or they don't want to, they still do the tactics, obviously, but they get to know the, the system opening, they aim for an end game and that type of thing. And I think that's the both of it sort of viable options. But I, I just felt if I had like half an hour studying openings, half an hour studying end games, half an hour studying tactics, half an hour going through games, or I wouldn't really kind of try to find an edge, you know, if that makes sense. I don't know. <laughs> right. yeah. 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 It makes sense. I mean, it's definitely interesting to me because so many people gravitate towards openings, but you from the beginning yeah, were less interesting. Yeah. Because no. Yeah. I mean, so I, I help out the chess club at school and, and like, it's, it's quite interesting seeing these kids who are caught, the, the online ratings sort of like a thousand and stuff. And, you know, they're really enthusiastic, which is absolutely brilliant, you know, so help out doing that. But they're kind of, well, what do you play? I'll play the King's Indian. Well, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Drawish. You know, I'm thinking, I said, look, just, you know, I don't know, I'm not trying to give advice, never give advice to young people. How, what, uh, what age are the kids? Uh, they're about 14, 15, something like okay. that. Okay. And of course, yeah. lately we've been hearing a lot as chess fans about the, the explosion of uh, popularity in chess at schools. Um, have you experienced that over there in Great Britain as well? Um, a little bit, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, I have noticed that for this last couple of years, chess seems to be, you know, a lot of people are playing, bringing chess boards in, which is pretty cool, you know. Okay, yeah, but it hasn't been like, like for example, starting in December, around the time Levy Rosman started posting on TikTok, like there's been an article in the New York Times, like there's been like more exponential growth in the past six oh, right. months or so. You haven't witnessed that firsthand? Not firsthand. Because uh, you know, it might be more, lo- you know, it might be more local, more provincial, you know, it might be in the US, but not as much in Great Britain. And obviously yeah, Tesla's doing fine I, everywhere, but I was just curious. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I've, I've seen, I have seen this sort of groups, groups of eight and nine kids in, in, in the school that I'm in that, you know, working on chess puzzles. But uh, yeah, it could just be about those pockets of students. I, I don't really know, to be honest. Yeah. Okay. It's good news though, if, if the, the chess boom, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. the one thing, it's not transferring to the local uh, club scene, unfortunately, because when I was still playing you know, back in before the pandemic, we had like 
there's like one team that tries to get kids into chess and they do a good job, but he doesn't really filter through to the clubs and you've got a lot of old people. And I, I'm known as a young person, you know, I was in the 40s. <laughs> right, so, uh, you know, I'd like to say there's some kids coming in, but not as many maybe as, hopefully there is now, I don't know, I've not been down to the club. I've, I've not been around back down to the club since, so I don't know. Hopefully uh-huh. they are coming in. Okay. And yeah. and for these tournament games that you played uh, through your slow and steady ascent, w- what was your approach to game review, John? Oh yeah, so uh, every single game, I would I would review it again. I just followed the advice of, of what you know clever people have done, like Dan Heisman and other people, a bit more experienced players. Which is uh, obviously talk through with the person at, at the time. That that's really important, I think, because you get that initial impression. And then the next day, usually the next day, I go through the game myself without a computer with anything like that anything like that or anybody else's help and i used to just like i used to annotate the game myself as i'm, as I'm going through it so I'm, I'm putting my own thoughts in you know i'm trying things around like that and then i, I would post it in my online chess cert group and they would sort of give me comments and things like that and then i think about it for a couple of days and the game's still in my head at night i can't sleep the game's going through my head and i get up in the morning and think oh maybe i should have played this movie and go back and look at that and then, like at the end of the week, I maybe look at the engine and I think, oh God, I could have done that. <laughs> you know, uh, but you're always the engine laugh. I tried to squeeze as much because I was only playing 30, 35 games a year. You know, I had to sort of squeeze as much out of that as, as I could, really. So that was that was the process myself, uh, myself for a couple of days, my own thoughts, friends, that engine. Okay. Yeah. And I did that with every, every single game, every single long game. Because that's another thing that I've seen lots of people. Uh, they go down, they play the game, they do analyze the games, and I think that's just insane. <laughs> you know, why would you yeah. do that? Yeah, I, you know, I couldn't agree yeah. more. And was there were there particular recurring weaknesses that you identified? Like, what did you have to shore up? Oh, absolutely. So what I did one year is um, say that with, with glee. I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I analyze all, all thirty five games. I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to do like a batch analysis, and I put a video on about how to do this. And what I did is I went through every single game. And I want to take out one thing that I did well, you know, and one thing that I can improve upon in that game. Where's the weakness? Right. And the thing about doing well, okay, I wasn't really concerned about that. It was what was the weakness in that game? So let's say I lost that game. Why did I lose it? Did I lose it because it's opening, end game, tactics attacking, tactics defensive, or some sort of strategy, positional concept? And I know it's hard to sort of boil a chess game down into one of those areas, but I'm going to do, if I had to do it, where would I put it in and do a little tally chart? So I went, I went like that from game one to game 35 and did a little tally chart. And I was absolutely blown away by what I found, actually, which, which made me you know, change, change the way I sort of studied a little bit. So I would have been convinced that I would have had, out of the 30, 35 games, like eight, I would put down to losses out the opening. You know, I get a worse position out the opening and it just deteriorates and I lose. I thought it was something about eight. It was actually like three. Yeah. yeah. I was like, so... I'm panicking about these openings and it's not actually, obviously three out of three is not great. I was really, really happy to find that I'd, in terms of attacking tactics, uh, you know, I'd, I'd missed one tactic in 35 games or 30 games. So I was really pleased with that. And, you know, obviously, oh, I should have mentioned, if it was a draw, I'd still try and find the move. Or even if I won the game, I'd still try and find the best moves, you know. And there was one game where my opponent dropped a piece on move six and I just ignored that game. So I went through every game, every sort of game systematic like that with a tally chart. And everything, like end games, like three or four, you know, not too bad. And it was tactics, threat awareness, 17. <laughs> wow. Right. Wow. Yeah. So, wow. So, so what I learned from that is, 
tactically, I'm doing all these tactic, tactic studies and it's working aggressively, but it's not working in terms of threat awareness. You know, and, and that's what I needed to do to show up really. And uh, so that's, I kind of went, went on blunderbusters on the back of that. And, and I was always aware of that, these tactical threats and strategy things weren't too bad either, but needed to work on the you know, threat awareness tactics. And I've always asked the question, if you're studying tactics, does that improve your threat awareness of tactics? Well, probably to some degree, but you know, in terms of my stats, then not, not really. So, yeah. So then the next season's focus was then to try and work on uh, threat awareness, but it was coming up close to the pandemic at this point. I can't quite remember if they had a year to study doing that, although that it was, that was 2019. I'm not sure, but yes, okay. I'd recommend doing that. I think that was a useful tip because, you know, you have it in your head that you're really bad at one thing. And then when you actually look at the evidence, you might not be that thing, you know? So, for that season, for example, with the 17 games lost because of uh, tactical threats, going going out and buying an opening book on the Sicilian Dragon or, you know, whatever, it's not going to help me, is it? You know, the, the fact is I need to focus on my weaknesses. And uh, people, I think, sometimes don't want to really focus on the weaknesses. So they, they need to identify the weaknesses in the first place. But, you know, I know if you go out and write a book on defence, you're going to sell 10% of, of the book that's got attack on. So, right. you know, maybe, you know. But I definitely, for me, it was the it's the threats. Yeah, so that's an, yeah. yeah, and I yeah. think it's fairly common that like you can spot tactics when they're for your side, but but when yeah. your opponent uh, has them, they're harder to spot. But I also think it's important for listeners the idea that it's not like you're saying everyone needs to work on that. You're saying you analyzed your games and realized that's yeah. what you needed to work on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, could have done that and if it had come up openings 14 then i would you know actually really put my study into the openings i'm just trying to sort of like work out where my weaknesses are train my weaknesses uh you know and that's how we we do it really i think that's that's what i would need to do if i were to carry on is to fix my weaknesses and uh, test my weaknesses you know and it is difficult being an adult when you're playing against people because uh what i'd always struggle with is the time pressure right because then you get down to your patterns you know that's ingrained and you're playing against someone who's been playing 30 years they're good at faster chess and I'd also often slower at, at not, not as good at the faster chess, you know, and make mistakes. So, and my local league games with no increment ever. Oh, wow. So it was, it was, it was a bit really annoying. It was a 70 G 75 are local league games. And then the weekend games were better quality. It was like G one twenties. So I was able to think my way out of trouble really there. But so it, it come to the, the point in, in petitions where uh, people were like a queen up and they'd lose on time. Some guy got pawn and they'd won. Right, because that's just the local leagues, you know. And I did try and change that, but you know, sometimes, oh no, we can't. It's always been this way, <laughs> right? You know, it's not. And so try to change that. So, did you do anything to work on the time management issue you mentioned? I, it, it, I did a lot of online blitz and bullet, like, and I tried to focus on playing non-losing moves. So you know, and just moving at speed playing okay moves and just not blundering, if that makes sense. Like I wasn't, I was playing a blitz game. Obviously I'm trying to win, but I'm like, let's try and avoid mistakes more. That was my focus. I didn't really care about the result. Uh, just to check, you know, look through how many blunders I made, you know, and, and I kind of did that, tried to help. And I think it did improve, you know, and, and, and having a bit blitz strategy and, and looking at the clock thinking, well, you know, it's a 75 minute game. You, you play a little bit, you're out of the opening, you're into an early middle game. Uh, and you look at your clock, you're 40 minutes, or you've got 40 minutes on your clock, and then and you've got sort of 20 minutes. Oh, well, now we're, now we're in a rapid game. You know, we're actually playing a rapid game. This goes down as, as a standard rating, but we're playing a rapid game. And that can soon turn into sort of a five-minute game. Yeah. You know, and, and this was, 
this is another issue with the that's the time controls that's what i had to sort of live with really but you get into a position and you're five minutes on your clock your opponent's got eight minutes on theirs and they offer you a draw and you you, you seem to take the draw because you can lose on time yeah <laughs> you know they say it's a bit, bit frustrating whereas in other areas of, of the uk they have five second increment you know and then you can't really lose on something you can but you know You've got a bit. You, of you definitely can, gap. but yeah, you're. Again, yeah, so I had to sort of tailor my training to the time controls in the local leagues. Okay. You know? yeah. All right. Well, John, we're going to take one more break, and then I want to kind of wrap things up and talk about what you're up okay, to cool. today. Okay. Round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we are back. So, John, you mentioned earlier there are a couple things you would have done differently if you could all over again. But let's sort of, for our listeners who are maybe earlier in their journey than you, um, if you could start all over, knowing now what you, you know, knowing then what you know now, uh, how would you spend those four to five hours per day? That's a really good question. So, I would still, for myself, I would still have a focus on tactics, but the tactics that I would study. I would make sure, I would, I've always said they're like an 80 20% rule. So 80% of my time studying tactics that are simpler than, than my current rating. So let's say you're 1,500, you know, try and find tactics that are like 1,000, 1,100 rated and drill those tactics to get really good at those 80% of the time. And then 20% of that time, I would do harder calculation exercises. So, you know, I'm still practicing, you still have to practice the calculation. So all tactics. So my time. I mean, all tactics no, no, and calculation. No, uh, well, no, let's say you've got five hours, whatever you've got, the time that you allot to ta- studying oh, tactics. Of uh, okay. Yeah, of the, of the tactic time you're allocating, 80% of that time, simple, okay. 20% of that time, your more complex tactics. And then I would have some sort of more balance. I would have some try and do some sort of threat awareness, do a little bit of visualization, not much, just a little bit a week, and then maybe have some general opening sort of study bit around structures rather than moves. I wouldn't bother drilling drilling moves. I'm, I'm really against uh, drilling sort of openings. So you're memorizing the openings. But having some ideas of structures for openings is really useful. You know, opponents, there's the pawn structure book was, was really good. Yeah, chess structures. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, things like that. Looking at that and looking at, well, oh, I'm playing, or even just like well, I'm playing a closed structure, so I'm all right to move around a bit. I'm playing a semi-open position. Getting, you know, getting a feel for that. And I got that through the annotated games. So it wasn't like I was just doing tactics. I was, I was reading the, you know, the Alakine book. Yeah, I was always finding good things from there, and and you know the uh, the Chernev books and things like that. So I'm picking up strategy as well. So I definitely go over annotated games. So the second thing I do tactics first. Most of my time spent in tactics. Then it would be annotated games. Then it would probably be you know your basic end games. You need to know your basic end games, king and pawn end games. Uh, the Silman book's good for that, actually. Yeah, he says, exactly. learn this, learn this, come back when you're 1400 or whatever. Yeah, I quite like that approach. Uh, I'd do that, then I'd have some opening structure, and then I'd do last thing I'd do is a little bit of visualization just to just to tie it all together and have a nice balanced approach. But that's the general plan. But you know, when you're studying chess, you get you kind of get sidetracked a lot, 
the openings are a black hole, let me tell you. And, and yeah. if you do start doing too much openings, you neglect the other areas of chess. And then you find, or I found that, oh, I've just dumped that opening. People change their openings all the time. So all that study is basically wasted. So you want to be, if you are studying openings, if you're studying it in terms of like the structures, like you're always going to be okay with that, you know. Yeah, looking at analysing the pawn structures and this particular opening, that's useful study. Or if you're analysing openings in terms of what are the middle game plans I'm getting from this particular opening structure, that's useful. But if you're just drilling like I did for a year, the Icelandic Gambit, and then never playing it again, it's just a waste of time. <laughs> All right. So that's that's what I do, basically, I think. And, oh, sorry, yeah, and I go to the chess club. Yeah, go, yeah. go, go to the club if you can, you know, and then you're just picking up things you don't realise and you don't learn it. You know how to use a clock from from a from a book. Really, you you make a mistake in a tournament, but if you go down to the club, you don't you don't make that mistake. You're talking to other people. I mean, I mean, it's, it's different. You know, if you're a kid, or kids can basically do anything. You can you know pick up a chess book and do anything, and it just seems to absorb stuff. But as an adult, you kind of need to be more determined and and focused, and also see it as a long term project. You know, you need to see like chess improvement as a, a five year project or a six year project. Or don't you kind of give up straight away? You know, you, you it's a, you see it as a longer term investment. Don't set yourself too high goals. Uh, you know, keep the goals low, and you know, and then just keep going and pick up experience. But yeah, joining the chess club is re- really, really useful. So you get the feedback from experienced players. You know, so definitely that, that's what I do. Okay, great advice. And uh, and we'll get to your current non chess project momentarily. But yeah, if yeah. if you were, <laughs> say you were to go back and say. I'm yeah. going to make one more push and try to make it to 2200. Um, would would your advice or whatever rating, um, would your advice change at all based on where you are now, firmly intermediate, uh, quite accomplished in terms of what you've done? Um, or is does the advice basically stay the same? I think and if I was now, so for example, the challenge would be to get back over 1800, go towards 1900. So I think my advice probably would be slightly different and I'd have to look at my own weaknesses again. So uh, that would be you know, defense, defensive side positions, threat awareness, uh, having a, a more compact opening repertoire, I think, trying to do too much. Like I try to play for and take on open Sicilians and take on different things. I'd, I'd have to look at sort of narrowing that down a little bit. I don't mean like just completely changing what I do. You know, I play the D3 Roy structure and having some sort of repertoire, but not not drilling the openings in this still. So I still likely it's about looking at the weaknesses. I've got the basic tactical patterns. Obviously, I'm very rusty, but it, it would be more the openings and looking at the end games and things as well, and more of a balanced approach, I think. You know, and and I've always I can sort of feel the difference when I played against 1900, 2000 rated players. Uh, they're very, very tough, and you know, they're very. It's all relative, of course, but you know, I can't be. I remember I was a piece up against the 1900 and. I thought well, it was just a case of trading off and winning. And no, he ended up getting a draw at the end because he's just very, very determined defensively. You know, and you learn a lot from that. I think playing stronger opponents, that's, that's another good tip. Yeah. yeah. Makes so sense. It's, it's about, yeah. But I mean, you're kind of close to your tactical strength, I think, no matter what sort of level you're at. The tactics are always there. But yeah, I, I quite like to have a, other than the try, but I think I'd be 50 plus at that point. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. Right, we'll, well see. Yeah, yeah, Lots so. of great chess advice, John. And I have to say, I, I mean, for it's what nice. it's worth, I mostly agree with uh, with your conclusions. Yeah. I think there's a lot of uh, great advice to save people a lot of time. Now, John, so you're you're taking a break from chess in order to work on uh, mystery novel, how uh, which I yeah. believe the first one is released. So, how did this uh, project yeah. uh, come to the fore? Well, it came it came to obviously when the lockdown came, and it was like, 
Well, it's uh, they quickly announced there would be no overboard chest for that year. And then they, they quickly announced, actually, to be fair, there was no overboard chest for the next year. So there's at least a year and a half without any chess. And I thought, well, I tried to substitute that while I played online and didn't really, didn't really work out. And then I thought, you know, like me, when I haven't got a project on, I'm like walking around the house looking for something to do. So uh, I, I decided to sort of, I've always wanted to write a book. And I think most people say, oh, I always want to write a novel. Uh, so, yeah, I've been working on that uh, for, for, two, for two and a half years. Uh, the York Mysteries, Slapping and Browns, like a comedy murder mystery. Uh, so I think Sherlock Holmes type things where just be like crazy or bull characters. So yeah, I've, I've done that and I've written the second book and that's that's going to be published in July. And I've got that. That's, this is my next project really, you know, five-year project working on this. Yeah. And so, as an adult... So you're in a book then as well. Yeah, go on, sorry. Yeah, I am. Um, we'll get to that. But <laughs> like, yeah, okay. as an adult improver fiction writer, like what, what was the, yeah. the hardest thing to learn? Uh, well, my, my degree is in English literature, but that's, that's in literature, not actually writing it. So it was difficult. The first book was two, two and a half years of working it constantly every day, basically. And I, that first book went through 15 drafts, which is a bit insane. Wow. Uh, you know, I used to go to bed every night thinking plots. I wake up in the morning, run downstairs, write, write a note down, come back, uh, back home from work, write that up. And, you know, ideas, spread ideas. And the early drafts were really, really terrible. <laughs> but I improved those drafts as I, as I went along and got feedback from people and then kept improving them. And then when I got that to a particular level, that I wrote the second book in six six months, really, because I've already got the characters, in, you know, working pretty well. And the second book's absolutely crazy. <laughs> it's just uh-huh. insane. Uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, so really farcical, but, you know, quite fun to do. But I have to sort of, I, I had to make that decision. I cannot immerse myself in two things like the chess and, and the novels and with other board chess like not existing I had to find that that gap really so so I'm focused on the novels if if I was to do chess and the novels I, would, I feel maybe I don't know I feel like both wouldn't get the attention they deserved and I'd be sort of watering down both elements you know I'd be playing chess but my heart won't be in it I would be, I'd be writing the book but I'm, I'm kind of thinking about chess puzzles and a little bit you know so I still keep my eye in, in the chess world a little bit but I have to be really fully focused on on the writing and you know that's where my ideas come because for start writing a chapter so let's say i'm writing the book three at the moment i've done three chapters and i've got a rough idea where chapter five and six is going and i know what's going to happen chapter 10 but as soon as i start writing chapter four then ideas for chapters five and six start to develop you know and as yeah. it goes along so i need to keep, I need to keep the ball uh, rolling on that on that point you know and i do things like i've got to do it every single day so i've i've, I've had key rings made with lavender brown key rings so every time i pick my keys up it's like lavender brown lavender brown you must be doing this you must be working on this you know cups with a with a name on so it kind of reminds me that this is my project now for, for five years you know at least and you know and it's costing me a lot of money doing it but i don't care really this is my project i'm gonna you know work at it and see see how it goes really it's, it's you know it's really enjoyable i really enjoyed I don't necessarily enjoy the lockdown, but having time off work, sitting on the back garden writing, I thought, yeah, if I could do this for a living, this would be brilliant, you know? Right. So I'm going to try. It's, it's not going to be up for a living, but it's a project. I'm enjoying doing it. So, you know, and I, I flicked through the books and I've read them 15 times. I'm still laughing. That's a little bit sad, but, you know, that's, that's, that's just me, really. And it's called, yeah. the first one's called York, the series is called York Mysteries. Is that correct? Oh, uh, this it's just Labyrinth and Brown and the first one's the York Mysteries. Okay. Yeah. So it's set in York in 1888. Excellent. So it's like, um, I think Sherlock Holmes style, but with just crazy characters, really. Sounds yeah. fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Well, John, this has been great. Um, anything else you feel like uh, listeners sh- should know before we say our goodbyes? 
Um, I would just hugely recommend doing simul games because that was like the. Oh the, yeah, yeah. So you played my, some my some, years, some prominent players, or? Yeah, yeah. I played. Uh, I played like Michael Adams. I played Hurley McShane, David Howell. Uh, all the all the British players like that. Yeah. All the British top top players. Yeah, Every, all of them apart from Nigel Shaw would not not come around. Really, really good. Really, really good experience. You know, if you could get do a simul, just do it. You know, I, I don't know why I got invited because it was Hull, and I'm not not from Hull. It's hundred mile away, but I got invited to play in that, so I went every year. Really, really good. You know, and got sat with Luke McShane on the train, which was which was cool because you know we, we basically mugged him. <laughs> like, uh-huh. uh, my, my, my friend says, "Oh, come and sit with us, Luke," and he come on the train, and he's like flustered. I think he, he he didn't know if he was on the right train, so we helped him out. We gave him five minutes to sit down and relax. And then we absolutely battered him with chess questions, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. You know, and it was uh, sorry, Luke, but but actually no, because I I did say, uh, uh, are you playing in this tournament in London, this Luke, Luke's Place tournament uh, uh, in three weeks? And he said, oh, I, I don't know about that. So I showed him the tournament listings. I said, oh yeah, I might go play in that. So uh, I went three weeks later and I saw him again, and, and he, he spoke to me again. He must have thought that's that crazy guy from the train, and he actually won the tournament and he won several thousand pounds. So okay, you know, nice, yeah, spins around about from his point of view, really. <laughs> yeah, and you know the Ginger GM was was it was really good watching him because Simon Williams, you know, yeah. he's a really funny guy and all that, but he is absolutely ruthless. Like, he know, is, yeah, don't he's, you? He's, yeah, on that, yeah. on that, really going around the board, and I felt like. He was like playing playing Kasparov or something. It was really, really ruthless. He got to the. I, I always like them tournaments because I always like fifteen out of thirty. So it's like I'm banging the middle where I wanted to be, and then you sometimes got down to the last eight matches. I lost every one, but I was always disappointed to lose as well. <laughs> it's like oh my god, I've lost to Michael Adams. I'm so disappointed. And uh, the uh, Simon Williams was playing the top board of the second board that was left. Everybody gathered around this guy, and Simon Williams had got a rook and a king. And this guy had got a knight and a king, and it was the end game. And he was on like move forty-seven, you know. And they're just re- repeating moves. And it was like, oh, he's going to get a draw. He's going to get a draw. I need three more moves. So the guy makes a move. Simon Williams checks, wins the tactic, picks up the knight, and this guy was devastated, you know. And Simon Williams just went, "Yeah, bad luck, that." Just <laughs> <laughs> absolutely ruthless. Really good. They're all really good, really good players. All of them, you know, really, yeah. really polite, very, very, very nice people and speaking to people after the game and things like that but just the experience of playing you know like chess legends doesn't come around very often it might come around once a year for me but yeah, i would recommend that experience definitely yeah excellent and, and it's, yeah. It's, the simuls are fun because they're very very quick uh, very very slow at first and obviously as the players get knocked out it gets faster and faster and faster and the tension like picks up and picks up so it's really really good definitely fun stuff all right. Yeah. Well, John, congrats on your success with the chessable courses, uh, with, you, with your, you. your slow and steady rating gain. And yeah, if you, yeah. good luck with the novels and, the and, thank uh, you. if you do come back, we'll have to, um, do an, another, a part two, if you make a chess comeback say, yeah. 10 years from now. Yeah. Yeah, and we maybe start when I'm 50. I'll try again. Maybe if nice. I've got the books out there on the underbelt and they're making some money, I'll, I'll come back as a 50 year old and I'll try and get, what, what should we try and do? I don't know, 1900. Let's try. I don't know. I think at least it was another project. I need a project. I need a project. I can't just come back and watch TV. You know, I do watch TV at night later on, but I need something to do and occupy myself. So, Excellent. yeah. Oh, oh can, I, can I just want to say, like, thanks for other people who do buy the courses and send me messages? Oh, you know, sure. Uh, it's, it's really, really, uh, you really do appreciate that. Yeah. yeah Excellent. Really yeah. And, and, and I'm all sure the they mean the it. club as well. Yeah they're, yeah, they're worthwhile courses. So yeah, um, yeah, because thank you. I, I get a ping, a ping comes up, and it's it's like 
I, I always check my chessable every, every day anyway to make sure there's any I always check the courses if there's anything that needs changing or anything like that and a ping comes up and think uh, is there being a comment on your course and I'm thinking oh it's going to be negative and it's not it's usually positive so thank you <laughs> I know yeah. that feeling I just, well. I just need the same for my, my novels now <laughs> <laughs> excellent all right well good luck yeah. with the novels and, and thank you thank for you. sharing your story John thank you thanks thanks very much for having me on really, really enjoyed it Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.